the time that he spent with them on this missionary journey that he was on uh, and, and the three weeks that he was able to spend with them, and then his journey away, the, the overwhelmingness that he's felt towards them, and uh, the reports that are coming back. So what we're looking at and we'll continue to look at in, 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 this me- in the message uh, is, is that the message that Paul gave them that could so transform their lives and, and how it did indeed transform them. And to look at, at those messengers who, who, who brought it, and then we looked at that, and we've covered that stuff. Now, what I want to do tonight is I want to zero in on these people and who they were and who Paul and Silas and Timothy were and, and, and what was producing that kind of Christianity in these people's lives with him only spending three weeks there. And so we're going to get into some of this and, and uh, as we walk through this. So I want to take a look at, first of all, verse 3 of First uh, Thessalonians in chapter 1 there. Let's take a look at that again. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. I don't know if you hear any echoes there. In our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. And then take a look at First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. Uh-huh. Not only in Macedonia and, and, and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. That's a huge statement in and of itself. So he, what he's doing is he's describing their Christian life at this present time. And you've got to remember, they're, they're babes in Christ for Pete's sake. But they are described at that time as being in a position of a work of faith, a labor of love, and a steadfastness of hope. A work of faith, a labor of love, and a steadfastness of hope. And and to me, I mean, the Christian life can be summed up in faith, hope, and love. So a labor of love, he said, a labor of love, a steadfastness of hope, and the work of faith. So the three words are there, and this is the, the Christian life. So what does, he, what does he really say here? What does he really mean? Because the first time someone would look at, 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 at this, they would look at what he's saying, and, and the word faith? I mean, I mean, the whole idea of faith, understand, is resting. The whole idea of faith is resting. Uh, you know, so, you know, let, let's just, it's resting in the, when you get back to the question, work of faith, what is faith? By definition, faith is resting in and responding to what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's huge. That's faith. Faith isn't making God do something. Faith isn't making myself, you know, presentable to God. Faith is that which rests in what God did for me in Jesus Christ so that I am accepted by God, not through doing, not through something I've done, but by what he has done. So I rest in what he did. That's the idea. I rest in what he's done. I respond to what God did in Christ. And God says to me, I have achieved your pardon. God says, I have done all that is necessary to receive you into the family of the kingdom. And all I can do is respond to that and say, thank you. That's the only thing I can do. That's faith. That, that rest in and respond to what God has done in Jesus Christ. However, <clears throat> and this is the point, that rest in and response to God is a living faith. Understand this. When Jesus talked about it in, in parables, 
and all the illustrations that he might have used, he described faith as a seed that was planted in the ground. So if a person has that kind of faith, if he indeed is resting in God and what he has done in Christ, it's a living thing inside of them. And what that does is it begins to produce action. So there's a work of faith, a work, uh, actions, lifestyles that arise from that faith. And, and this is, you know, I, I hope you understand what I mean when I say, let a man rest in God and works will be the results. Let a man work to be accepted by God and despair is the results. You want to talk about religion, we can talk in that section for about an hour right there. But let a, let a man stop trying or, or let a man stop trying to please God Stop trying in his own strength to work, and there emerges a whole entirely new lifestyle, a, a peace that surpasses understanding. That's what James was talking about, if, you, if you've read his letter, when he says that faith without works is dead. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people get that thing twisted up. In a, in a big way. What James is saying is he says, don't tell me you have faith. He said, prove it. And the reality is that faith produces the word. Paul is saying there is a total abandonment to myself to what God has done in Christ. He says, my utter, you remember Romans 7, don't you? My utter despair of my own works. And, and that's the point. He says, just rest in him. And, and the result is something that is life that happens inside of me and the seed begins to grow and it expresses. It carries on in the Galatian. What ends up happening is something called the fruit of the Spirit. The seed has grown and fruit happens. A, a new lifestyle works follow, <coughs> excuse me, works follow faith. If a man says he has faith but has no fruit of the Spirit, there is every reason to say, I don't think you have faith. James comments on that. He says, you say you have faith? The devil believes that and trembles. But that is not a saving faith. Saving faith is that abandonment of myself. It is that wrestling of my total person into a God and what he has done for me in Christ. Now, if that's the case, the devil may believe, but it's not that. And a religious person may believe just like the devil believes, but nothing happens. They may go to church, they may pray the prayer, they may he hear the word. They may even give in the offering. Maybe. <laughs> the, the devil believes all of that. The devil believes in the virgin birth. The devil believes in, 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 from, from the birth to the cross. He believes. He believes in the resurrection. He was there. <laughs> that doesn't make him a Christian. Because it's a dead faith. There is no abandonment to it. There's no response to it. Does that make sense? I mean, so you can believe in facts, but when there is no response to that, when there's a resting in that, a living thing has been born in me and it produces in me the fruit of the Spirit and you'll know a whole new lifestyle which is the work of faith or the actions that arise from faith. That's the point. Then he said, the labor of love. The word labor there means service to others to the point of weariness and exhaustion. Hmm. Service to others to the point of weariness and exhaustion. Uh, who wants to do that real quick, right? No. But understand, 
one who has faith toward God, one aspect of that new lifestyle is labor to others. It is a labor of love, a, a laborer to the point of exhaustion. And, and there's much that, that we could say about that. But one thing I want to say to you is a labor of love, that is a, it's not a labor with a view of success. It's not a labor with future results. It's a labor that rises out of love. Do you remember when Jesus was speaking to Peter after he had risen on the shores of Galilee during a fish breakfast? Do you remember those words that he said to Peter? If you love me, feed my sheep. He didn't say if the sheep respond to you, then go ahead and feed them. He, he, he didn't say, you know, if, hey, they, they applaud you or if the sheep receive you or if the sheep like you, you know? In fact, the sheep had nothing to do with it. Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep. And, and just a quick point for those who are involved in ministry here. And you know this is true. Otherwise, why on earth would you carry on if they don't, you know, applaud you or receive you or even like you? It's because Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep. And you labor sometimes really to the point of exhaustion. And there is <laughs> there's no reason for even doing it. The only reason is the heavenlies. If you love me, said Jesus, it's a labor of love. And, and sometimes we, we labor and we're like looking out there and ain't nothing happened, nothing's going on, and, and, and you know, what's the sense? Nobody shows up, nobody does, you know, nobody, why, why even bother? That's the whole point. If you love him, feed his sheep. And, and really, that is the only way to, to love others. If I look at others and try to find a way to love them, I can't. Hello? This arises out of a love for God, and love for God creates love in us and through us then for them. If I try to love them first, I can't. But I can minister to them because I love God, and then I find myself loving them. It's a labor of love. <laughs> and these new Christians were coming into that. Then, then he said the steadfastness of hope. Now, another word for steadfastness is patience. And, and that's found in, in some of your Bibles instead of, instead of uh, steadfastness. But what does patience or steadfastness mean? In our culture, patience means something passive, quiet, resigned. I just have to have patience. It's like, you know, setting through the commercials. When will they stop, you know? And you know, so uh, I, I say this it's because it's almost like the word hope in our culture. What does hope mean? It basically means there is no hope is what it means. All I can do now is hope. Yeah, I mean, it's the, these words don't mean that in the Bible. That's what I'm trying to get at. They meant something else, and, and right here, the word steadfast is a, a better word than patience. It means, and I'll call that word, you know, patience, steadfast, because you'll find it elsewhere in the New Testament translated patience. But in the Greek, which is what Paul meant by it, it means actively constant in the face of problems. Actively constant in the face of problems. So when I'm facing pressure, I don't go down. I'm constant, I'm steady, I'm balanced, I'm immovable. So, so what I want you to understand there is that there is an action there. It isn't lying down and letting life roll all over you. That's not patience. That is a fatalistic passivity, and it doesn't belong to Christianity, friend. It just does not. Christianity rises up in the face of problems and keeps on walking. That's patience. That's steadfastness. And that is the difference. That is, that, uh, that is different than really how the world defines it. 
Patience in the Bible means that which bears all things. Not something like, well, this is my cross to bear sort of thing. Don't get me going on that. So, so it's not enough to say, oh, you know, you know, Mike's very patient. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that, huh? <laughs> and, and, and Mike doesn't complain, right? That's not patience, friend. Not in the Bible. It means not merely the absence of complaining. It means the dynamic presence of song. Not just the absence of something we know is complaining. But it means very simply that 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 song that rises up. And 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 understand it, it isn't that you're you're not complaining. What you're doing instead is singing. Some of you wives can't wait to tell your husbands this, right? There's action here. And initiative. There, you're, you're moving into life. In this chapter that we read last time, in, in chapter 1, Paul says, you are imitators of me, in verse 6. T take a look at it. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. Let me just say this. He is one of the best examples of the New Testament concerning what we're talking about. In the, if you remember in the Philippian jail that we talked about how he got to Thessalonica to begin with, there are scars still on their backs. They sang in prison. It isn't that they didn't complain, but that they sang. Do you, do you realize that? They didn't say, well, you know, what is to be will be. They embraced the situation. This is patience, a patience of hope. Hope is not that despair sort of, you know, whatever kind of thing. It is absolutely, hope is absolutely immovable confidence that all things are in God's hands and that he's wrapping it all up in the parousia, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing that, I walk through things now. So our patience today is because we know that our tomorrows are all wrapped up. I don't know how they're going to be wrapped up, to be quite frank with you, because I don't have God's head. Therefore, it has in it the element of absolute abandonment to God, who is totally good, who is totally wise, who is totally sovereign, and is on my side. So I rest in him. That's hope. Now he says, we didn't have to tell anybody about this. They were telling us about you. And he uses a very important word here. He says, for they themselves report the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. That, that's a very interesting concept because the word literally means a sounding board. Sounding board. How many know they didn't have microphones back then? But they did have sounding boards. I'll, I'll never forget a number of years ago going to England and going into being able to go into uh, Charles Wesley's chapel, his church there. And it was an amazing kind of thing. It was a chapel. It was a house. It was a a lot of different things, and it was all, you know, up and down. But his pulpit there was just, it, you had to go up a, a ser series of, of steps. And when you stood in that pulpit, I mean, you're like yeah, about 10 feet high so that you're actually looking over. And so the res, the way that that would resonate in that church was actually out of the idea and the understanding of a soundboard. What a soundboard actually does is if I'm speaking on this, there would be a board above me, and it would be angled in such a way that as I would speak, it would bounce off that soundboard and cover huge crowds. I mean, it, the, the way a soundboard is set up, I mean, 
it, it, it's, it's really quite interesting how it balances your voice and projects it in the way it does. But that's the word that Paul uses here. He said, you people have become a sounding board for the word of the Lord. A sounding board, friend, doesn't originate sound. A sounding board receives the sound, reinforces it, and sends it out. These people had received the truth. They didn't originate it. They received it. And they have reinforced it in their lives and by their lifestyles. And now it's being magnified and passed on. That's why he calls them that. That's to be us. Hello? You've received God's word. Your life has now become a sounding board, and it goes forth. Have you ever stepped into a cave or off maybe a, a, a cliff where you're around mountains, and you went, hello, 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 hello for the echo? <laughs> in the Greek word, or in the Greek language, this word is, that's used here for, for the sounding board was also translated echo. I mean, like, you know, little me stood in the gully and shouted with that little voice, and it bounced all over the cave, and you could hear it, you know, way down yonder. That's, that's the word here. My little, tiny life, my minuscule person, has received the truth reinforced in a certain lifestyle, and then, boom, God takes it and blesses individuals all over because of it. That's each and every one of us. Every one of us, our lives are a sounding board whether we know it or not. Who we are is being sounded forth. Hmm. Now, this is the result of Paul's coming. So I have to ask, Paul, what on earth did you do? How did you achieve that kind of, of Christian in such a, a short time? Well, Paul writes in chapter 2, describing to them that he was with them, in case they'd forgotten. And remember the background to this. Again, you know why he's writing to them. He's in Corinth as he's, as he's writing. First of all, it was because the husbands of those wives, remember? And the leaders of the synagogue said, Paul doesn't care for you. You know, when, it, when the going gets tough, he walked out on you. Paul is writing back and saying, I did not walk out on you. He says, you got to know what I was going through when I was with you. So he begins in chapter 2 now. What you are going to find out is the kind of person who shared the kind of message that produced this kind of people. And he says, for you yourselves know, <coughs> excuse me, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now, the word vain there, it, it means in the Greek, is not empty-handed, okay? It, vain means that not empty-handed. It wasn't a vain visit. I didn't come to you for nothing. I didn't come with empty hands. I hope you see what Paul's saying here. He said, God forbid from, uh, for, you know, that, that I would take anything from you. They're, they're accusing me of just coming to get what I could get out of you. He's saying, I didn't come to get anything out of you. I came with hands full to give you something. He says, I was never a taker. I came to you bearing gifts. How many know that the Christian life is all about being a giver and not a taker? And have you ever noticed that a giver is always receiving to give more? <laughs> That's a principle. That's the whole point. This is not give to get. But I do believe that we, we, we give to get to give so I can give more than I ever have given before. <laughs> he, he, he said, we didn't come empty-handed. We came 
to give. We're not takers, we're givers. He said, do you remember? I mean, well, let me ask you this. Do you remember Peter? When Peter said, when he, when he, what he said when he came to the man at the gate, at the gate beautiful, he said, such as I have, I give you. Friend, we, we are to give our lives away to be givers and not takers. That's how Paul, this is the point, that's how Paul changed the lives of Thessalonica. He came to give himself away. This is the human side of the gospel. There is a divine side and there's a human side. Who can save a soul? Who can transform a life? Only God. Now, listen to me very carefully. God has chosen not to do it. You're involved. So Paul had to be there. He had to go to Thessalonica. He had to give himself away. So who did it? God did it. But Paul did it. He says, I came to you with my hands full. Back Ezekiel. Remember him? Who can make bones to rise again? Only God. And when God said, can these bones live? Remember Ezekiel said, mm, thou, thou knowest, you know, don't, don't bring me in on this. <laughs> but the point is, although only God could do it, God wouldn't do it until Ezekiel did the talking. And before his amazed eyes, as he preached to the bones, they, they came together. And, and it still took his helplessness when they brought the bones together and they had flesh on them. And, and, and then he said, then he had to say, God, blow the wind. Let the Spirit come. But God, again, wouldn't do anything without a man. He was teaching Ezekiel that. We just, we, look, we don't just say, you do it, God. You do it. God says, I'll do it for you. So we walk through life with that realization that God is going to bring his purposes to pass by us. The point being, God has chosen to use man, woman, not just to do it while we sit in the bleachers watching, watching him, you know, bringing his purpose down on the field here. No, we're not watching God do something. We're involved. So Paul says, I came, and I had my hands full, full of gifts to transform your lives. He said, we not only gave you a message, we were an example. Please read all of chapter 2 when you get a chance. Read it, read it carefully. We don't have time to read it here tonight because it is, it's too long for that. But it's, it, in there, you'll see that what he says is, we didn't only just give you a message. We gave you our very selves to be an example, to be a pattern. In other words, you can live your life according to how you see us. You, you followed us, and we followed the Lord. We were your pattern. We're your example. And I'll, I'll say this honestly, and, and please hear me, but too often we brush people aside by just saying, well, we'll pray for you. What we're saying actually is, God, you're responsible. Have you ever heard the expression, don't look at the man, look at the Lord? Well, okay, where is he? I can see man. I mean, he's right there in front of me, but where's the Lord? I want something concrete to follow. I, I, I've said, you know, back in, in, in my youth, uh, I, I just, I remember an example. I won't get into all the details, but, you know, I want to be a Christian just like you and just like so-and-so and on these other guys that, that had influence. And, 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 and I would hear them say back, Get your eyes off of me. 
and get them on the Lord. And it's like, okay, where is he? Can I say something that's not really in the Bible? Paul said, without shame, he said, follow me. I'm following the Lord, you follow me. You're a baby Christian. You're, you're, you're new to this. I'll show you how to do this. Make sense? We cannot know the Father except through Jesus. God has so chosen that the world will not see or know Jesus except through us. Think about that. You know, I just, I keep going back to, and you've heard me say it. I mean, I, I think about Jesus rising from the dead, right? And, 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 and if I were Jesus, I'd know the first person I'd want to see me would have been Caiaphas. I would have loved to have stood in front of him and said, boo. And, and just, you know, and, and, then, and then, then go to people like, you know, Pontius Pilate. Hey, Pilate, <laughs> should have listened to your wife. You know, that, those kinds of things. But you realize that in the resurrection appearances of Christ, Jesus only appeared to his disciples. I'm not talking about 12. I'm talking about his disciples. Never once did he appear to the world. Why? Because in the wisdom of God, he has chosen that the world will know he's alive through us. That's the way it's done. An example? Paul said, yes, I am. <laughs> Look at the way I live. Learn how to live the Christ lifestyle by watching the person who is living the, life, the Christ lifestyle. Learn how to do it. Christianity biblically defined is not simply a doctrine. It drives me crazy. It is a life, the life lived out through our lives. That's the point. Now, again, Paul said, I'm your example. From the day I walked into Thessalonica, you can look at me and understand what Christianity is all about. An adult in Christ. And I'm not talking, when I talk about an adult in Christ, I'm not talking about if you were born again last week. I'm speaking to those who have been born again for, let's say, at least a year, two, or three years. We need to grow up because, friend, we're not, we're not babes in Christ any longer. We've had our failures. We've, we've got our faults. We've made our mistakes. And we've learned how to move up through and along with those who know what it is to rest in Christ. We then become God's love at that point to the babes in Christ. We become his life to them. We become, in fact, his light to them. There's a great verse in Isaiah chapter 32. It's a prophecy concerning the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. Take a look at it with me. It says, behold, a king, and, and this is Jesus, there's no doubt about that. A king will reign righteously, and princes will rule justly. Well, if he's the king, who's the princesses? You got it. Take a look at your neighbor. They're the princesses. They're the dealers, right? No, but, but you are the princesses. And, and, and then it goes on. Take a look. Each will be like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry country, like the shade of a huge rock. Oh, man. Like a shade of a huge rock in a parched land. I hope you see what, the, what he's saying. The king who will reign justly is all of that of course jesus is the rock in a weary land we know that but if we want to honestly exegese that passage it says the princesses and you know those times when your spirit is so dry please just don't tell me 
to pray? <laughs> Would you be a river of water to me? When I'm beaten up by life, just don't pat me on the head and tell me that you'll pray for me. Would you be the shade of a great rock in a weary land? Hello? You understand what I'm saying? Don't put it off to God. God, you look after him. I mean, because he does, and he will, but he does it through us. We're the princesses, and when one of our fellow princesses falls on his face, don't say, I'll pray for you. Pat him on the head and say, you know, be warmed, be filled. I don't need that. Uh, I love it when people come to me and, you know, I've had this when I've gone through, you know, so, some weeks of some things. After a few weeks, I've had somebody come back and, and after I've gone through that and tell me that they prayed for me. And I don't, I don't mean to be brutal, but I, I, I say, well, it didn't do much good. Okay? Uh, I've learned that when I meet a brother who's in real trouble, he doesn't need a sermon. He just needs, he just sometimes needs someone to say, hey, let's go grab a bite. Let's go sit down and have a cup of coffee together. Just for yourself. Cry if you want. It's not a time for a sermon. I, 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 I might know, you know, you're, you're wrong, and, and I might know that the state that you're in is because you did something wrong. But you know it too. I'm not, it's not a time for me or for anybody else to preach to you. I just want to love you. I just want to be there for you. It's called a shade of a great rock in a weary land. It's a river of life when you need it. Paul said, when I came to you, I could say, here's my life. I'm a giver, not a taker. I am to you the very light of the Lord. I am the love of God to you. He's speaking through me. And the truth is, one of the biggest problems we have in the church today is a lack of spiritual parents. Nobody cares for anybody anymore. So when a new convert comes in or someone comes into a new understanding of God, no, no, there's no one there to hug them and in the Lord. I mean, what do you do when you hug somebody? You're not saying anything. You're just there. If you care, if you love, that's all you got to do. You don't have to be a great theologian and answer all these deep and wonderful. No, just be there. Let another person in Christ know that you've been through the worst that they're going to go through. But you're still here to tell the story. Just be there, that's all. Don't dare to share your weaknesses. I mean, one of the fortunate things that I have is I've, I've been able to speak into a lot of pastors' lives. Especially when they're walking through some of the most horrific, most incredible tough times of ministry. And, and, and they don't... <laughs> They don't need me to teach them the seven factors of this list or go into that thing over there. Yeah, no, yeah, you know, that, that, that's just it. I know what it is to feel that despair in those places and those moments. I know what it's like to come in on Monday morning and say, I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore, that's for sure. I've come to realize that my sharing my life with others is also meaning that I share my failures as well. It doesn't mean to put on a front that I never have problems. It is to say that I do have problems, and this is how I deal with them. To be able to tell somebody, yeah, you know what? I messed up yesterday, and, and this is how I got forgiveness, is to take a baby Christian and lead them with my victories and my failures. And I say this, you will never come to know God through other people. Please hear that. 
wait a minute. I mean, you know, what did you just get done saying here? Well, that might be what you think I'm saying, but I'm not. You know God one-to-one. Nobody stands between you and God as a mediator. And when a spiritual parent parents, they are knowing God through them. You're an example, not a conduit. You're an example, not a conduit. Hello. When you first became a Christian, somebody probably said to you that Jesus is all you need. And you know what? They're absolutely right. Because if you're in a situation where the whole world walks out on you, believe me, Jesus is all you need. It is not people standing between me and God. I stand before God in Jesus Christ, and if everyone is gone, I'm still there. It just helps to have examples and parents around. Hello? And the truth is, I can tell you what it's like, friend, to be absolutely alone. And I can come back and tell you that Jesus is all you need. But it sure helps to have a loving parent, somebody to invite you for a cup of coffee, put their arm around you and say, God loves you, and so do I, and I mean that. Okay, he says in this chapter that he was to them a nursing mother. He was an example of, of that, 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 that came to you uh, that, as a nursing mother. T- take a look at verse 7 here. It says, But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Okay. He uses the expression there, and, and to give it to you honestly, it's a, it's a fond expression, and that is a yearning love. That's a 24-hour-a-day involvement. In this aspect, he is reflecting a certain part of God's love that we don't talk very much about, to be honest with you. Do you realize that when it says that God made man in the image of God, it doesn't mean that all you females are not in the image of God? (laughs) Why do I get into these things? When God says man... He doesn't speak as a feminist. When we say man, we don't mean male. We mean mankind. Let's just put that to bed. So when man is made in the image of God, it's male and female. Do you realize that the highest of what we might call maleness and the highest of what we might call femaleness is Found in God and its absolute infinite. That that certain affection, that tenderness that belongs to the female, that yearning care that is uniquely hers is infinity found in God. And when God made man, there's, there's a part of him reflected in woman. And Part of him reflected in male. And here Paul is reflecting that ultimate, uh, that ultimateness of God's yearning, you know, that mother kind of love. That's the idea. In fact, one of the titles of God in the Old Testament is translated God Almighty. Now, I understand it, and, and uh, don't get me wrong when I say it's an unfortunate translation. In Hebrew, it is El Shaddai. And El Shaddai literally means, literally, check it out, the breasted one. God comes to us as a nursing mother. He comes to us as the mother. Before we rest in him, we feed from him. El Shaddai, should I say the, 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 the mother image of God, comes to us in Christ. All of God is reflected in Christ. And when he says that, God the giver, God the yearning one, the the caring one, Jesus said it like this. He said, I am the good shepherd. That is, 
the mother God carried. He said, I am the water of life. I give drink. Drink of me and live. He said, I am the bread of life. Eat of me. It's got all the idea of, of mother yearning, caring, feeding, that Christ lives inside of us. Get that. And when we are grown up in Christ, we become the bread to the world. We're, we're, we're the yearning, the caring gift of love. We become the water of life. You realize what I'm talking about is, is a maturing of Christian life. We affirm him in his love to those who are, are stumbling, who, who don't understand. We become the affirmation of him. He, here's a head scratcher for you. You want, you want to really get messed up? Look at this one. John chapter 20, verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven of them, or forgiven them. If, you're, if, if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Hey, I'm sitting back going, okay, what's he going to say on this one? Well, I'll say this first. The church has gone really kind of berserk, wild, and crazy with this, and they've said a lot of crazy things. But it is a basic fact that when I meet a person, who is qualified by all that the Scripture says. That is, they have seen the finished work of Christ. They have rested in the finished work. They have turned from idols to the living God. Then I, as one of his disciples, can say to him, your sins are forgiven. I, I have found, and, and I kind of experienced this Sunday as well, that a new convert, convert they need that. Trust me. Especially with those who feel so rejected, wounded, who, who don't feel worthy. And because they have, you know, this is such a past, it, it wasn't, it's not just enough for them to, to, to pray and to say, well, I, I, guess, I guess I'm forgiven. It was for necessity that we would put our arms around them and say, you are forgiven through Jesus Christ. You are accepted as if you've never sinned. You are part of the family now. Hello, somebody. I mean, say that, and you are like a nursing mother to a newborn babe. Hello. You have to affirm what God has already done. Your words do not make it happen. It has happened, and that's why we say it. It's, it's when you say, when, when you say, when you say it to another member of the human race, that they believe, I'm forgiven. A person who, until this moment, is removed many miles culturally and socially from me, put their arms around me, say, put your arms around them and say, you're loved, accepted, and for forgiven. And what you see is a newborn babe comes to life. I mean, try it. Just, just try it sometime. Right? Just, just, just be the affirming word in the lives of babes that God puts in your way. Don't just walk by them. Smile. God bless you. Don't put it on God. God's going to bless them, but God wants to bless them through you. Put your arms around them. Love on them and tell them, you are forgiven. also that he came to them as a father. Look at verse 11. It says, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. As a father, he said, he exhorted them. That wording sort of means to stimulate, to encourage, and it means that, you know, that you're adding a personal level. That, that, that is me coming to you and speaking the life to the life that is in you. 
I, I know the potential of Christ in you. I do. Most of us don't. But let me tell you, Christ in you, you can. There's more in you than you realize. Arise and be who you are, so to speak. It's reaching down. What this is is reaching down inside a person and becoming a helper of their faith, causing them to become who they are already in Christ. I need to do that here in this house. We all need to receive that, but we also need to work with that. Look, you you know... And I've said this to you before, but that Father's Day is probably the lowest attended Sunday of the year. It's not a popular thing to talk about fathers. Hello? But let me ask you. I mean, especially in this country, we have absentee fathers. But but let me let me just ask you, what's authority? You you were saved last week and now all of a sudden you have the opportunity to go talk to crusades. You know, I used to see this a lot for those of you who are old enough to remember the, uh, you know, the Businessmen's Association. I'd see, you know, people get saved and then thrust up on the stage to give their, their testimony because, you know, they don't want to hear your testimony when you've been saved 30 years. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting. But what, well, I won't get into that, but let me, enough to say, you know, I... I remember going over to Hungary a couple of years ago, and, and you know who's there? I got there, and on that same night, Nicky Cruz was there. And you know what? He was really old. And uh, the, the funny thing is, is that here this American is sitting in this crowd listening to an American speak through an interpreter because they didn't understand English. Now, I won't get into what he said and how he said it, but so forth and so on. But then, then I turn around and, 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 and I realize that not only is Nicky Cruz there, but Benny Hand came to town that same weekend. I said, dudes, <laughs> you guys are blessed. Nicky Cruz, Benny Hand, Jerry Beck. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I'm sure they got paid more than I did. But anyways, there, there's, a, there's a total disregard for fatherhood within the church. Paul says, I came to you as a father. I encouraged you. I stimulated you. I, I taught you who you were. How many know that takes time? It takes discipline on my part and your part if you're going to father someone. You've got to sit down and look at your own life. What? Please hear me when I say this. What have I learned in God today that I could share with someone else possibly down the road? Please hear that. What have I learned in God today that I could share with somebody else possibly down the road? Now, it, it's amazing. I don't know if... You'll find out that what you've learned in God this week, he'll turn somebody up in your life next week who needs it. But you had to be thinking about it. You had to be looking at yourself as to what am I learning? What's God saying to me? What's God showing me? And then he said this in in, in, in verse, in verse 19. He says, for who is our hope? or joy of, or crown of, of exaltation. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his parousia, his coming? For you are our glory and joy. He's returned to the parousia, the coming of, of Jesus. And not only is the Christian life waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus, but he said, With that coming, there is a crown of rejoicing, joy. We we hear a lot about crowns and rewards, the parousia. It's It's all fine, but sometimes we have to ask, what do we mean by this? 
He said, when the parousia is, when the coming is, he said, then I am going to receive a crown. And the words that he uses there are taken from the Olympics. So really, to make it literal so we understand it, what he's saying is when Jesus comes, I'm going to get me my gold medal. He said, what is my, uh, what is my gold medal? He said, you are. You are. He said, you are my crown, my joy, my rejoicing at the parousia of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, I gave myself to you as an example. I watched you grow. Your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness. He said, I watched you and I was in anxiety, stuck down there in Corinth wondering about my kids. My kids, what's, what's, what's happening to them? In Thessalonica, I gave myself to them as a, as a nurse and a mother and a father to you. But he said, I know if, if ever I see you again, I know that the parousia, the, the coming, you are my gold medal. You're the reward I ask for. Hear me when I say to you tonight, that in the providence of God, in, in the marvel of his sovereignty of love, he has chosen not to go out there and do something to people, but to do that through you and through me and to reward us for doing that. That's God. It's about being givers, not takers. And we walk out of here for our gold medal, which is every person that we have ever influenced in the kingdom of God. Amen? Father, thank you for your word tonight, for speaking into our hearts and our lives, for bringing an understanding into some things and some areas that just, just well, honestly, either weren't there or were understood differently in a way that was more hindrance than fruitful. So I pray that in the hearts of each and every one of us in this place, there arises a stirring, an understanding, a desire, a passion, a steadfastness, a love, a hope. That there arises action that, 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 that is nothing less than the fruit of the Spirit itself. Bearing Holy Spirit, I pray again, let, us, let, us, let our eyes be opened to that understanding of the Holy Spirit speaking in our lives. Not only just challenging us, but letting us recognize that Jesus is coming. And the reality of that coming to live this lifestyle to become the parents, the mothers, the fathers that you have called us to be. Let us rise up. Let us just put it off on you. Let, let us not look at others who, who walk into this place who are, are working in things or, 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 or received you as Lord and fall on their face and then turn around and find ourselves broken and, and, and torn apart and then for some reason they'll even end back up here and find themselves just broken before you again, and we just look and say, God be with you. Lord, Lord, help us to throw our arms around them, to love on them, to speak into their lives, and let them know by an affirmation that their sins have been forgiven, that there is a seed in them that is in that ground that is kind of being watered and, and, and nourished and is growing up and will become a tree-bearing fruit. Let faith arise. Let rest be in place. Let God be praised. But let us realize that you have limited yourself to us. That you do it, but you do it through us that we are led not by doctrine, not by doing, 
but by your spirit. Bless them, I pray. Encourage them, strengthen them. Love on them this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? And would you turn to your neighbor and say, I didn't expect this tonight. Well, it's the truth when I say to you,